the uh, second week of Advent where we celebrate peace. Um, for me, peace was always kind of elusive. Um, it's certainly something I've sought with, peace with God, peace with others, and, and peace with myself. Growing up, um, I really had a struggle with really understanding um, who God was, and uh, I was rarely at peace. Uh, I was always seemed to be anxious about something, and today I, I still really struggle with that. And it's one of the strangest things to me was that one of the times in my life that I actually felt peace was right before I had open heart surgery in 2004. Um, and um, I've shared the story before. The, the doctor asked to move it from the 23rd of December to the 28th of December because if it went poorly, he didn't want to ruin Christmas. Um, and so, but it was, it was interesting because, I mean, I was really at peace. And I was at peace because I knew there was absolutely nothing I could do about the outcome. I had done everything I could. I had taken care of everything for Donna. I had taken care of the family. I had done all I could. And I knew that if it didn't work out well in a sense, it would be great for me, not so great for Donna. Uh, but I was good either way. And I was really at peace. And I think that that's what makes peace so difficult, is that we have this illusion that somehow we should be in control of things. And when we're not, we're not at peace. And yet... I, I know that I'm not in control, right? We know he's driving the bus. You always get those people with the bumper sticker that says, you know, God is my co-pilot. I always want to pull them over and say, no, switch seats. Um, <laughs> you know, God's driving this thing, you know, and it's, peace is knowing that he's driving this thing, that no matter what happens in your life, he's driving this thing. Such is the nature of peace, Right? Like Dan, I too like the Christmas season. Uh, to me, I think it's uh, time with family, a little more rest than usual. I'll, you know, I don't get a lot of rest. I'm not real good at resting. Um, yeah, that first, you know, be still and know that I'm God. Yeah, I know that you're God, but being still, eh, it's not my strength. Um, so today's message is going to be what Christmas meant to Joseph. Um, but I want to share a little about, about what Christmas meant to me. Uh, growing up. I, um, for me, the Christmas season has got a lot of emotional ups and downs in it. Uh, there's a lot of things that occur during Christmas that just really kind of um, just memories and, and whatnot. And I expect for a lot of you as well that the Christmas seasons, there's things that were highlights and whatnot. I remember when I was a young child, I was so excited at Christmas. Uh, to run out into the living room and find out what Santa had brought. Um, and uh, I was excited. I mean, Christmas was a great season. Um, I remember as a child believing that this was one day of the year that the entire world was at peace, um, that everybody got presents, got food. Everybody was at peace because this chunky dude in a red suit was running around making everybody happy. Um, and I was... I was I was really excited, and to me, that was really the first connection I had with God. I thought, well, that makes sense. God should create a chunky dude that runs around and takes care of everybody one day a year. That was good. I was happy. Um, and then I grew up, and when I was a kid, we would take food and presents out to a family. I don't know where we got the names. I think we got them from school or something, but you would get a name in a family, and you'd go buy stuff, and you know, you'd get, we'd go shopping for the kids, and 
And then we'd haul that. And it was classic. Typically, the families we would take to were Hispanic, and they'd be in the south side of Phoenix. And we would take turkey, potatoes, all this stuff you'd think for Christmas, and they'd shred it and make tacos. And you'd be like, no, no, that's not what we do with turkey. Um, but the, uh, you know, and it was, it was, you know, they're like, well, we don't just sit down and eat this much meat. That's, we just don't do that. This is, this is a week's worth of meat. We don't just sit down and eat it. Um, and uh, so it was really kind of neat. And, and obviously, the, um, it was fun, though, shopping for other people and, and to provide Christmas for people. You know, it was, it was, you felt good about it. And we used to have a lot of citrus trees, and we'd have way more fruit than we could eat. So we'd pack the truck full of all the citrus and drive down there and just give the stuff away, literally, like in the street, just give away all the citrus because we, we couldn't eat it, and it was great. And it was, it was one of those things that, for me, was just, really a special time um, about Christmas. And I realized that actually God is, God is about providing. Um, he's about providing for his people, to keeping his people safe and protecting his people. And, and my, my idea of who God was changed kind of as I got older. Um, I went to parochial school, and, and to me God was also a disciplinarian. You know, I used to think of uh, you know, God is sort of like a proverbial whack-a-mole. You know, every time you disobey, he'd reach out there and whack you, you know. And so I, I got this sort of vision of who God was and that he provided, he protected, but he had some expectations. And uh, if you fail those expectations, there was going to be consequence. Um, and the idea that, you know, God the good shepherd um, takes care of his flock. And really that was um, how I... My dad showed love. But to me, my dad was a dad of doing. Wasn't a man of many words, um, but he did. He worked. He worked hard. He always provided for us. Uh, he found time to be a cub master, a scout leader. He taught me the things I needed to know as a boy, how to use an axe, how to use a gun, how to prepare a meal, you know, how to fix the house. All the, I say guy things, today there's not so much guy things, but back then it was kind of like guy things and girl things. But today it's not quite that way. But the, it, it was just all those things he had to know. And my dad was a rock. I mean, nothing fazed him. Stuff would happen and he'd just do what he had to do. He would just get it done. No matter how unpleasant, how demanding, how he would be sacrificial and just do what had to be done. I never heard him complain about it. Um, and that's how I knew he loved me. Like I said, I knew he loved me because he provided for me, he protected me, he kept me safe, he helped me grow up. Um, and that's why I think of God today. That's what he's there for. He's, he's there because he loves us and he protects us and he provides for us and he guides us to where we're going. Now, I learned from my dad to be a workaholic. And uh, so when I was a teen, we would go weeks without talking to each other. Not because we didn't want to talk with each other, but because we were on two fast-moving trains that never arrived in the same station very often. Uh, if you remember Harry Chapin's song, Cats in the Cradle, that was us. We were... Now, we'd just go weeks without ever talking. Except on Christmas Eve. On that special night once a year... After Mass and after everybody else went to bed, my dad and I would drink whiskey, play cards, and talk. 
and we talked till the wee hours of the morning. And I got to know my dad in ways that I never got to know him before. He talked about what it was like growing up without a father. His father died when he was a child. He talked about what it was like being raised in military boarding schools and not by a loving mother. He talked about what it was like as a soldier in the fields of Korea, that wet, muddy, cold fields of Korea during the Korean War. He talked about life and what he'd wanted in life and what he had in life. He shared wisdom, most of which I ignored until I was about 23. And then all of a sudden I realized my dad got really smart really quick. You know? I, I was like, wow, he's right. Um, you know, and as kids, we don't want to admit that uh, dads are right. I prepared this time. The, uh, <laughs> um, anyway, for every Christmas Eve, we would just talk for hours. Um, and it was just a really, really special time for me, just to be able to share with my dad and get to know him, and and uh, and it really put a new perspective on things. Um, really special time. And then in 1982, um, at the age of 55, he died of cancer. A lot of friends of mine tried to convince me that, hey, that's okay, the pain will go away. And I know from many of your faces, it never goes away. Yeah, the edges soften. Other joys come into your life that offset that. But that pain never goes away. That loss is always there. Now, you might be wondering <laughs> what this uh, somewhat melancholy tale has to anything to do with today's message. The, uh, what Christmas meant to Joseph, the message today, Joseph, husband of Mary, earthly father of Jesus Christ. Well, I believe that Joseph loved Mary and Joseph loved Jesus. And he showed it by doing what had to be done. He did what needed to be done. He provided. He protected. So let's talk about Joseph. The Gospel of uh, Matthew begins with this detailed genealogy to take you all the way from the beginning down through David, Israel's greatest king, and ends, uh, Matthew 1.16 says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So the genealogy traces all the way through Jesus' lineage back to David placing him in the line of the ultimate kingship. The Messiah, the anointed one, the heir to David's kingdom, would now rule the kingdom of God forever. Now, Luke's account, which we'll look at next week, is from the point of view of Mary. And that next week we're going to talk about joy and, and uh, Mary's point of Christmas. But t- t- today we're going to look at Matthew's account, which is told from Joseph's perspective. So what do we know about Joseph? Well, first of all, Joseph was a name that was a very honorable name. Recall Joseph, who was the son of Jacob and was sold by his brothers into slavery. Through providence, he ended up in Egypt uh, in the household of Pharaoh and became the second most powerful person next to Pharaoh in Egypt. 
And through that, he was able to bring his family to Egypt, rescue them from famine. He was one of the 12 ancient Jewish patriarchs. And so Joseph is a very special name. So we have two Josephs with a father named Jacob. They seem to be very different. But in fact, they're really not. When I look at the Old Testament, and I think of people that kind of got the raw deal, right? I think of Joseph, Job, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. There's a few others, but they just seem to have a tough time. But what impresses me about them is that they did what they had to do. They listened to the Lord, and they followed him faithfully. And Joseph trusted God and God's sovereign will, both Joseph of the Old Testament and the Joseph we're looking at today. All right, so Joseph, first of all, is probably a, a good deal older than Mary. Um, in that time frame, uh, girls were married typically at the ages of 13 or 14, old enough to bear children. Husbands, on the other hand, had to kind of established themselves. They needed to be able to prove that they could raise a family, that they could support their wife, um, because they were legally obligated to provide for their families, food, clothing, and necessary shelter, and all that sort of stuff. Fortunately, they didn't have to do it by themselves. Quite often, um, they would move in with their family while they got everything started, and then as their family grew, they would finally get a home of their own. Um, but in early parts of their life, they needed that um, support, that strength that comes from the family. Um, to be cut off from the economy of the household would make life really difficult, uh, like Mary and Joseph had to experience when they were in Bethlehem. So we know from Matthew's gospel that uh, Joseph was a carpenter. Uh, and Nazareth was not a big town. And so while he'd practiced carpentry, there was other skill sets that he had to do. He probably had some animals, probably some land that he farmed, some other things that he did to make sure he could take care of his family and provide for them. But we know that he wasn't wealthy. Um, carpentry was not um, you know, some lucrative business. And we know that because if you recall, when Mary and Joseph had to go to temple and pay the um, offering for the Mary's purification from childbirth, the gift was two doves, which was the gift of a poor person. Um, and so we know that Joseph wasn't wealthy. Um, and yet, Joseph knew that God had chosen him to raise a very special child. He knew the child wasn't his, that it was Mary's through the Spirit, but he had been entrusted by God to raise this child. Now you can imagine Jesus as a young boy growing up with Joseph. You know, going with him to work, the child playing on the floor of the carpentry shop. There, that picture. There's a picture that uh, George de la Torre did back in the 1600s uh, of Jesus on the, uh, uh, at home with Dad working in the carpentry shop. Their hand tools, obviously they didn't have 18-volt uh, rigid drills. And so uh, I know we're so spoiled, nail guns. 
Amen. Um, <laughs> so, but I mean, you get the idea, right? So he was there working with his dad, working hands, learning hands-on sort of stuff. And we kind of miss that part. We think about Jesus. He grew up like any child. Probably better behaved than most, but he still grew up like a child. And, and he was with his dad, and his dad taught him the things he needed to know. Um, you know, I think that special times that really, I think of times with my dad and times that he taught me the things I needed to know. Um, and the same thing here. So Joseph is raising Jesus like he would any son. Um, so J Jesus learned from his father, you know, to saw the plane, to drill, the sand, etc. He learned how to do business. He no doubt heard his dad negotiating prices on things. Joseph followed Judaism, and therefore Jesus did as well. Um, I really kind of think of Joseph as this sort of quiet hero, this guy who's really, you don't hear about a lot, except he's just doing what he's supposed to do. God's entrusted the Savior of the world to him. And he's just doing what he has to do. He did, much like my father, just did what he had to do. Wasn't big on words. Just did what he had to do. Joseph's love is a, a silent love. In 2013, Pope Francis added the name of St. Joseph to the Eucharistic prayer at Mass after Mary, the Virgin Mother of God, by adding, Blessed Joseph, her spouse. In adding Joseph to the prayer, Pope Francis writes, St. Joseph stands as an exemplary model of the kindness and humility that the Christian faith raises to a great destiny and demonstrates the ordinary and simple virtues necessary for men to be good and genuine followers of Christ. Through these virtues, this just man, caring most lovingly for the mother of God and happily dedicating himself to the upbringing of Jesus Christ, was placed as a guardian over God the Father's most precious treasures. So Matthew's Gospel presents the unfolding drama of the coming of the Lord from the perspective of Joseph. So we're going to read uh, Matthew 1 from 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home and his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph is faced with a dilemma. The woman he planned to marry was with child and according to the law of the time, she should be banished. And banished didn't just mean 
being ostracized from society, it could mean death. An adulteress in those days was stoned to death. Now you can bet the tongues in the small village were wagging furiously with the news. Oh, did you hear Mary's pregnant? Couldn't Joseph and Mary have waited? My gosh. They should know better. All over Facebook. Um, <laughs> I, I get such a kick when I see on Facebook. I'm like, come on, people. You just put it into eternity. You, just, you know, and say love is temporary. The Internet's forever. The, uh, all right, anyway, we'll go on. So Jesus, uh, Joseph had to be incredibly embarrassed by the whole situation, right? So this woman he's going to get married is, is pregnant. Um, and he alone knows that he is not the father. He supposes that Mary, this woman who is betrothed to him and legal as his wife, had, must have had an affair with someone. Um, it had to be very, very difficult. I mean, unless she was raped, but she never said anything about it, this, this only conclusion that he could had was this, this woman that he loved had been unfaithful. His betrothed was an adulteress. And by marrying her, Joseph would have compromised himself in the eyes of the law. But his righteousness went deeper than a mere external satisfying of the law. He was honorable and he wanted to do the right thing. So he takes a compassionate stance and decides to divorce her quietly so as not to bring uh, shame upon her. But you have to imagine his heart was broken when he found out that the woman he loved, the woman that he married, was pregnant. And he knew he wasn't the father. And yet he acts in a loving and compassionate way. He doesn't want to make fuss about the whole thing, which he certainly could have, but he wants it to be peaceful and right and take care of it. But the Lord visits him through an angel and invites him to be a part of the great redemption of humanity. And then Joseph does what he's commanded to do. And he takes Mary into his home to be his wife. He abstained from consummating the relationship until after Jesus was born. So his love for his wife and his obedience to the Lord brings him peace that in other circumstances would have been a very difficult, difficult time. Now, three times we have a record of God speaking to Joseph. And it's through an angel of the Lord appearing to him in a dream. Each time when he wakes up, he immediately obeys what he's told to do. He does what he needs to do. Matthew 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Right? He didn't 
okay, Lord, but uh, I got some stuff to do this week. I can probably schedule something, maybe mid, no. He got up that night, packed his stuff, and headed out because God told him to. Did what he had to do. Didn't ask, didn't complain. Okay, God, you got this. In Matthew 2.19, he's told that he can return. Verses 19 to 23. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came in the land of Israel. But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Each time God told Joseph what to do, Joseph did it. No complaints, no delay, did it. And I think in the ordinary and routine moments of life, much of our love is just that. It's a silent love. We do what we need to do. We do our jobs day in and day out. We exercise our responsibilities, often unnoticed. It wasn't until I got much older and started to have a family that I realized how much my father had done for our family. All the little things that you never noticed when you get to be a dad, and moms too, I'm not picking on moms. Uh, seriously, you know as parents what it means, all the things you have to do to keep things going, and you just do it. You do it because you love your kids, you're faithful and obedient. And again, I know there's lots of us here in the room and online that know exactly what I'm talking about. You just do what you have to do because it's the right thing to do. And Joseph is a model of that. Joseph, difficult times. I mean, today, if someone said, hey, you're going to have to go to Egypt, it's like, well, let's see, do I have my COVID card? Can I catch a four, seven? No, I mean, it was a long journey and not an easy one. Uh, imagine that Mary had just had a child. Fortunately, I don't know what that's like. But she just had a child, had a brand new baby, and now they're going to travel to Egypt. Um, and they just did what they did. They did what they had to do. And Joseph, quiet, did what he had to do. So we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Ask today that you walk with Joseph, that you consider what it was like to be Joseph. His grace of perseverance, his attitude of obedience, and his seeking of peace. Now, before we leave this story, we're going to take a final look at the command at the end, verse 21. It says, you are to give him the name Jesus. Joseph is commanded to personally name the child. Now, this is very significant. In naming the child, Joseph acknowledges him as his own son and thus becomes the legal father of the child according to Semitic law. Because we think of it as Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. But no, Joseph, by naming the son, becomes the legal father according to Jewish law. And that fulfills the prophecy that that lineage would have David as 
the um, hierarchy down to Jesus, that continuing lineage, lineage. So as legal adoptions, Joseph's ancestry as descendant of David transfers also to his legal son. Biologically, while Jesus is begotten by the Holy Spirit and thus the Son of God, legally he is the son of Joseph and heir of the promise of David, Joseph's ancestor. Just as we read in Luke 1.32, the angel of the Lord promised Mary, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So therefore, naming the boy and therefore adopting him, David becomes Jesus' earthly ancestor. One of the things that's amazing to me um, as you go through Scripture is the number of prophecies that predict the coming of Jesus. Um, I, I find it difficult at times when I listen to people that, that cut the Bible short and don't recognize that there is no way it could be written by something other than God. Only he knew that history. Uh, and he equipped the writers of Scripture to tell the story that would be the result of the arrival of Jesus Christ. Now, Scripture tells us nothing about Joseph's death. Uh, though presumably he was not living during the time of Jesus' ministry. And I say that because Jesus would not have felt the need to entrust the care of Mary to someone else if Joseph had still been alive. But what we learn from Scripture about Joseph is that God chose him to father his son, Jesus. Jesus was a man who was devout, full of faith, obedient to God, just, merciful, and one who loved and carefully guarded both Mary and the child Jesus. And the true meaning of Christmas is that we cooperate with God's dream for his people. We each do our part. And what is that dream for his people? That each person comes to appreciate how much he or she is loved by God. Despite the prevailing culture today, we are not self-sufficient. We need to depend upon God. Obedient to him. Do what is asked of us. Trust in his love. We are wounded by sin and we need a savior. And that is a personal matter that each of us must face one-on-one. -on -one. There is a God... And it's not soccer, it's not football, not a big check cook, it's not a job with a big title and a rubber tree plant in the corner. That's not God. God is a personal God who loves you and has a purpose for your life. And Joseph understood that. I can't imagine what it was like, Joseph, knowing that he was raising God's child, and yet he did it just as he would have raised any other child. Boy, I felt sorry for James, right? Jesus' brother. I could just see it. Why can't we be your brother Jesus? He didn't, you know. <laughs> anyway. Hopefully we'll be ready for Christmas, right? Christmas is God showing his love and peace to his people. Provides the Savior. The path to redemption. Eternal life with the Father. And so we think of the promise of peace, the second week of Advent, we have peace today because we have a God we can trust.
And we know that whatever happens to us, he's in charge. If we're obedient and follow, we can have peace. And in the not quite yet, he will come back and we will have peace eternally. I said, faith and hope go away and peace and love last forever. Because once you're there, you don't need faith and hope. You're there, right? And that's where we end. We end with the Father in eternity, enjoying the peace and love and joy that he's provided for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we're so thankful for your provision. We look at Joseph and his faithful and yet quiet obedience to you. He did what needed to be done. He did so obediently and peacefully, without complaint. We pray, Lord, that as we go forward in this Christmas season, that we take time to reflect on all that you've done for us, that you guide us, that you give us peace. Amen.